Now that the foster child I was working with has been reunified with his family, I realized that the hardest part wasn't that bittersweet day I had to say goodbye. It wasn't the time spent with social workers, attorneys, and others to make sure he had what he needed to succeed. It wasn't learning how to advocate for a child in foster care and how to navigate the system. The hardest part was realizing I had what it took to become a CASA volunteer. Make a difference in a child's life by visiting becomeacasa.org. Every child has a chance. It's you. Welcome to the Christian Outlook, the weekly radio program that sorts through the issues in our fast-changing world in a way that honors your Christian faith. Sponsored by the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. I'm Georgine Rice. This week, if you listen to the left, this election cycle is all about abortion. Pro-life activist Abby Johnson is not so sure. I don't believe that abortion is the primary issue when people are going to the polls, but unfortunately, the angry mob, they are showing up to vote. But in certain states, it's absolutely on the ballot. We'll look at California's Prop 1. On the day of the baby's birth, the baby can still be denied life. Also motivating voters, the issue of education. The Mama Bear Apologetics is based on this idea that when they see something coming after their child, that maternal instinct just turns into this ferocious creature that says, not my kids, not today. I'm Georgine Rice, and I'm glad to be with you once again. I'm coming to you from Portland and my home station of KPDQ. You can hear my own program live each weekday afternoon on 93.9 FM here in Portland and online via our website at kpdq.com and also through the TuneIn radio app. Thanks for joining us. We'll begin with a look at the election. Early voting is starting in many states across the nation. And if you're paying attention to the elite media outlets, this election cycle is all about a woman's right to an abortion. Yes, the release of the Dobbs decision has motivated activists on both sides of the issue. But is abortion really at the top of the list for the typical voter? Kevin McCullough turned to pro-life activist Abby Johnson from AM570 The Mission in New York City. I know that after Dobbs came down, there was wringing hands and gnashing of teeth in the in the Planned Parenthood and the pro-abortion and the now corners of the universe. But I don't buy for a second that women, first of all, number one, are all going to vote on the abortion issue in 34 days. And I certainly don't believe that you can treat all women in the same categories the way the Democrats market to basically unmarried women. And I don't believe that abortion is the number one issue in any race in the country. Abby Johnson, you're much closer to the uh, efforts on the grassroots level. What do you think? Yeah, I don't believe that either. I I really don't believe with, you know, the the surging inflation rates. I don't believe, you know, with our economy the way it is. I don't believe, you know, the fact that you, you fill up a little tiny hand cart of groceries and that's $100 right now. Um, I think that those are the bigger issues plaguing our country, the, the bigger issues that are bringing people to the polls right now. I think it's the reason that we, we've seen a million people switch their, you know, their part of the political party from Democrat to Republican. I think the bigger issue that we have right now is that the GOP, that Republicans are not going out to the polls to vote. I think we saw that in Kansas. Kansas is not a they're not a pro-choice state. They're not a Democratic state. They're they're certainly a red state. They're a conservative state. And the problem right now is that the Democrats feel emboldened and they're angry. 
And so the Republicans are just sort of sitting on their butts, and they're not going out to the polls. It's been a problem for, for many years. It's been a problem for decades. And the Democrats are showing up. They're showing up to rally. They're showing up to protest. And they are showing up to vote. We saw that in Kansas. And uh, I don't believe that abortion is the primary issue when people are going to the polls. But unfortunately, the angry mob, they are showing up to vote. Yeah. Well, I think that's well put. And I think that part of the um, thing that we have to understand here is that um, if we want different outcomes from what we're getting in in our public service right now, we have to we have to be energetically uh, committed to replacing those people. And if there are people saying um, and because I know that the Dobbs case resonated with that small group of angry leftist women that basically hate themselves, hate God, hate America, hate the church, hate everything that's good. They're just angry. They're hurt. They've been through a lot of uh, pain in their own life. They project that on everybody else. Um, it, they're the ones that you that you see seeing up, showing up in memes. I don't know how effective it is for Kathy Hochul to say, oh, well, Lee Zeldin thought the Dobbs decision was a good thing. Okay, so he did. But nothing's changed in New York. And that doesn't mean that people like you and me don't want it to change and certainly will work for that change. But I just I think that this whole thing is being blown way out of proportion. And I want people to understand that 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 little small mob of angry leftist feminists, they will get up and get and get the job done. That's why we've got to get our people out. The majority of states, I mean, you're right. The majority of states in the United States, abortion access is, I mean, it's still there. Abortion's still available. The abortion's still available to the, the bulk of the female population in the United States. So by and large, that's what the media has done, right? They've sort of spun this false narrative that, you know, abortion is no longer available and, you know, women are going to have to go to these back alleys. And they've done that to escalate fear to spin this propaganda to encourage these leftist women to go out to the polls and vote on something that's false. If the economy, inflation, fuel prices, crime, and our border crisis are the issues driving this election cycle, there's no question about it. In certain states, abortion is absolutely on the ballot. Pastor Jack Hibbs, voice of Real Life Radio, was a guest of Scott Furrow on Southern California Live in Los Angeles and San Diego. Gavin Newsom and his uh, Democrat majority in Sacramento, they anticipated the Roe v. Wade being overturned, and they were not going to wait around and, and get caught off guard. So what they did is they crafted quite a while ago, Scott, what is now known as Proposition 1. So in other words, they were gearing up to enshrine this act, and I'm, I'm not even calling it abortion. It's abortion plus. How about that? Abortion plus. Yeah, because. I think people need to understand, right, that they're what they're saying is they're just codifying existing law, but that's not true. You're exactly correct. This is what it is. It's abortion, not only up until birth, but it's also known as birthday abortion. You say, what does that mean? On the day of the baby's birth, the baby can still be denied life. And here's what they've learned, and you you may remember this. In AB 2223, mm-hmm. uh, the Democrat legislature got busted in Sacramento. I led 3,000 people at the steps there uh, making this public that um, perinatal, 
this particular abortion, this stuff, perinatal means infanticide. And the Democrat Party told us, no, it doesn't. Right. Well, lo and behold, it did. Well, they got too much in the details, Scott, in 22-23. So what they did with Prop 1, now the devil is not in the details. They've left it very vague so that the mother can decide to exterminate the child's life even after birth. Here it comes, everybody. Listen for it. And this Proposition 1, if passed, ties the hands of law enforcement. There can be no investigation, and there does not have to be a coroner's report filed if a child is found dead seven days after birth, 12 days after birth, three hours after birth. There's no accountability whatsoever. It is literally hard to believe. No state in our nation's history has ever had the gall to do what Newsom and his people are doing now with Prop 1. How does Prop 1 enshrine late-term abortions like you're describing? Because they're saying it doesn't. They're saying it just codifies existing California law. Existing California law says that once the child is viable, which is around 24 weeks, a late-term abortion cannot be done except for life of the mother or extreme circumstances. Yeah, so Scott, you know this well. When Roe v. Wade was overturned, did it change the abortion laws of California? Not at all. It did not. Not at all. Roe v. Wade had nothing to do, didn't apply in California because we were a state that was already wired that way. So what's going on right now is the question should be asked by every thinking Californian. Why amend the state constitution and enshrine forever abortion to the extreme, abortion plus, birthday abortion? Why? What's the deal? What's going on? What is the agenda? Newsom signed something like 11 or 12 bills into law that all have to do with abortion and what they call productive rights. That's right. right? Reproductive, reproductive rights. There were 12, 12 or 13, I think. Yeah. Doesn't that sound nice, reproductive rights? Gee, who's, who's, not, who's not for reproductive rights? Right. Well, for crying out loud, it means anything but that. That's what Californians need to wake up about. And I'm afraid, Scott, that they just don't see it. I don't know what our problem is, but the words and the crafting of these bills, and it's going to appear on the ballot where, oh, that's nice. Maybe I should vote yes on that, when in reality you are actually doing the opposite of a biblical worldview. God says, speak up for those who have no voice to those who are destined to be crushed. I mean, think of that. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 1 says, Woe unto those who craft uh, laws that bring mayhem upon the people. This is it. So the only thing that we can do, Scott, is what you and I need to shout from the rooftop, vote no on Prop 1. Go to stopprop1.com. Stopprop1.com. Find out everything you can. Tell your friends. Show them videos. But this is something where if pastors and Christians don't get with it and, and, and do righteousness now regarding this, if we lose this opportunity to do righteousness, I fear with Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson said, I fear that the wrath of God will not sleep forever. I don't know what's going to happen if pastors don't speak up from every pulpit in this state regarding Prop 1. 
uh, many newspapers, and we, we've talked about people on the left and people who might normally vote in favor of abortion candidates, that they are even asking questions. Why didn't you include these restrictions on late-term abortions, on viability, on things that are already in liberal California left-wing law? Why, why do you think those things, Jack, were not included? It seemed like a simple thing to do, an easy argument to make. Oh, we're just codifying current law. Why did they leave it out? I think they left it out because they've got an agenda that is one that, for them, vagueness is power because they have such a stronghold on these positions of power that they have figured in their minds that for them to enshrine this, they don't want people to find out about it. They don't want people to know about it. And so well, let's make it as vague as possible because we already know how we're going to interpret this. And we'll we'll spin it to the people as though it's palatable and it's just and it's just codifying our present day laws, when in reality that's not true. And right. you said it right; they are lying, and they're banking on you not questioning their statement. They're banking on you trusting them. And if we look under the hood, we're going to find out that it's rat infested, and something's got to be done about it. So this is a tremendous it's, – it's not just politics in California. Um, it's almost as a, a sleight of hand, a magician's act is what we're looking at in the presentation of Prop 1. Coming up, another issue motivating the electric this cycle. The Mama Bear apologetics is based on this idea that when they see something coming after their child, that maternal instinct <laughs> just turns into this ferocious creature that yeah. says, not my kids, not today. When the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy enters our 25th anniversary year, we've remained committed to a single truth of world history, that ideas have consequences. To understand these ideas and their impact on today's politics, and to test them quantitatively, requires the unique curriculum we offer on our Malibu, California campus. Apply now for fall classes at pepperdine.edu spp. That's pepperdine.edu spp. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook. I'm Georgine Rice. If I was to add something to the list of issues driving this election cycle... I'd have to add education. Parents across the country have been forced to wake up to the fact that public school bureaucrats have all too frequently sought to squeeze them out of the equation. Hillary Morgan Ferrer is the Mama Bear in Chief of Mama Bear Apologetics. Her book is titled Mama Bear Apologetics, Empowering Your Kids to Challenge Cultural Lies. She was a guest of John Hall and Kathy Emmons on Word 101.5 FM in Pittsburgh. Talk about the mama bear because, I mean, I love the image about it as the protector, the guider. Yeah, so the mama bear apologetics is based on this idea that, uh, you know, someone might be grounded and rooted in their own faith and they never have had any doubts. But when they see something coming after their child, you know, that that maternal, sweet, nurturing instinct just turns into this ferocious creature that says, not my kids, not today. And um uh, and instead of going off and you know going off on people, we say we demolish arguments. We do not demolish people. And so we train moms 
in the ideology so that they know how to demolish an argument for their kids that, so that they can say to their kids, I don't want you to hear something that you haven't heard in my kitchen first so that kids know mm. mom understands what's going on in the world. Mom knows um, all the arguments that are out there and mom has thought through this. And if she hasn't, she knows how to find the resources to talk about that. So therefore I can trust mom and dad that if I don't understand something that they have tools to be able to help me through this. Right. So of course that requires that mom and dad actually talk to the kids. And that's where a lot of parents fall short. Well, like what they say that, that phrase, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And Mm. I think that um, COVID was actually this beautiful kind of pause button where we got to see how much we were doing. And so hopefully parents are starting to learn to have those conversations with their kids again. Um, I always recommend that you make family time, like meal time sacred. Everybody's phone goes into a box over there. No one's looking at their phones. And I always encourage parents that, especially when their kids are too young to drive, you have a captive audience in that Mm -hmm. car. So there's no screens. You're having conversations. And especially now that we have this beautiful thing called pause on um on the tv like when i was a kid if you missed it you missed it right and uh you we can put live tv on pause now so that if we're watching stuff with our kids we can put it on pause and say hey did you see that let's talk about that that's so good i mean and despite what the culture says hillary and you know this that sexuality is one of the ways that god reveals himself to us so it's necessary Mm -hmm. that we understand this and we absorb it in, in our own lives and then pass this conversation along to our kids so that's what you're doing when you go out on the road and have this conversation with other parents absolutely i think uh we have stuck too much to just really pragmatic view of sexuality in terms of, oh, this is, you know, all true things. This is God's design for people to have children, to have families, raise them up in the Lord and, and, and create other Christ followers and create strong families, which create strong churches, which create strong communities. These are all good things to talk about when it comes to sex. But one of the things that I really wanted to focus on this book is how sex in marriage and family actually will reveal to us the God that we cannot see. It is so profoundly theological that once you start seeing the way God created things, if you differ, if if you try to just kind of distort it in slightly different ways, you actually distort the very image of God. And it's it's like taking someone's portrait and changing it all up and then expecting people to recognize them. We are changing the image of God and then we're being confused as to why people are not connecting with God. Well, we've took a, we've taken away all the ways that we are to know him and to see him in uh, in in a more tangible way. Okay, so talk about that. Um, I think that if you had asked the average person, even the average churchgoer, the average person who calls themselves a Christian, um, if sexuality has any connection to the image of God, they would say, mm-hmm. "I don't think so." Yeah, it doesn't. It seems like that's a big stretch. Um, but you see that link clearly. Talk about how you see those two things being connected. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's very clear uh, that marriage itself is supposed to imitate um, Christ in the church, and it's supposed to be Christ, uh, you know, it's it's not Christ in individuals, it's Christ in his church. We are called the bride of Christ. Rachel Gilson talks about if we get marriage and sex and family wrong, it's like we've got Christ in the church. Christ is always the male, and the church is always the female. If we have two men then we have Christ in Christ. We've demolished the idea of the church. If we have two females, we have the church in the church. We've demolished the idea of Christ in the church. She said the the picture of Christ in the church is a picture of two things that are so different 
uh, so different. The, the difference is crossed by this union uh, of male and female. And without the picture, without each parties of the picture, you demolish the picture. This is a, a, a really interesting time now, Hillary, because, you know, I mean, Kath and I have kids and, you know, my kid went away to college and I see on his profile, all of a sudden he, him showed up. And I'm like, yeah. what, what happened to he, him? I mean, what's going on here? My, you know. And so we had this conversation and he said, dad, I'm, you know, this is how it is. I mean, this is what, what happens on campus. We have to identify this to sort of call yourself out. And this is a boy who knows Jesus. So, I mean, to have this conversation about uh, the church and homosexuality and the sexuality of where we are in the 21st century in this country, it's a very fine line here. It's very difficult. And, of course, it's exploded many congregations. You know, um, how do you embrace that? I mean, I, I don't want to embrace it, but I have to acknowledge it. My kids are, you know, there is a line here, you know, generationally where kids in their 20s and teens, homosexuality is just like, I'm cool with it. And that's just how it is. Mm -hmm. And so the church, you know, sort of probing and pushing into this and saying, hold on, this is not Christ-like. We're outside of the norm here. You need to have the tools to to talk about this and not be an idiot when you do talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I would say have, putting your pronouns is a tacit affirmation that um, that you think that sex and gender are separate in the first place. And so there's a wonderful book called Live Not By Lies by Rod Dreher that talks oh, sure. about how do we live our life so that we are not even subtly assenting to any kind of lies that are coming in in our culture, because that's basically how we're going to be swept away is these little tiny little compromises that end up being bigger and bigger and bigger until we're like, I can't turn around. Yeah. How do you talk about this and not be a jerk about yeah. it? Right. I mean, because you want to love people. You want to see people where they are. We know people. We have friends who are gay. And so mm -hmm. there's the conversation. You look people in the eye. But at the same time, you know, biblical teaching. I would say, first of all, we need to acknowledge the fact that this is not coming out of nowhere. It seems like the church really woke up when it came to homosexuality, but we had ignored the ways that we had destroyed the picture of God in the church yeah. uh, through no-fault divorce and through uh, just um, abortion, treating treating human life as if the image of God was not that important. Uh, the way of sort of this don't ask, don't tell in terms of, you know, we kind of know they're having, uh, as soon as there's a, an unwed pregnancy, oh, that's when everybody gets up in arms. So first off, I think we need to acknowledge our complicity in this progression that it did not start with homosexuality. Um, but secondly, I think that we need to be looking at what does it mean to be made in the image of God? And that would be everybody. It doesn't matter if it's male or female. It doesn't matter if they're able-bodied or other, um, or, you know, handicapped or if they're mentally challenged or if they're dressed like a clown or if it's a baby inside a mama's womb. Every single one of those human beings is made in the image of God. Dogs are not, cats are not, grass is not. All these things are wonderful, but not made in the image of God. Once kids can distinguish that everybody, no matter how different they are, is made in the image of God, you move on to, and how do we treat people who are made in the image of God with dignity and respect? Coming up, responding to the voice of God. God wants all of his creation to come to himself. And what I found is that he goes uh, to great lengths to reach us. Yes. When the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. 
it's Mike Gallagher. I start every day by reading through the stories at Daybreak Insider. It's a look at today's most compelling stories and provides responses from key conservatives in media and politics. Over a quarter million people get Daybreak Insider by email daily, and it's available to you at no cost. Go to daybreakinsider.com and simply plug in your email. That's daybreakinsider.com. In five minutes, you will be the most informed person in the office. That's daybreakinsider.com. Welcome back to the Christian Outlook, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. I'm Georgine Rice. As we look at the challenges facing our nation, both domestically and internationally, it would be easy for us to lose heart or to grow faint-hearted. But I'm convinced that God is still at work. As for our part, we need to be responsive. Wendell Robinson is a pastor here in Portland, Oregon. He points to a motorcycle accident as a key piece of his own kingdom story. Pastor Robinson, author of Kingdom Moments, Hearing and Responding to the Voice of God, was a guest on my program. We are in such a desperate season, I think, in the body of Christ and in the culture in general, that we would hear and respond to the voice of God. You described uh, your first kingdom moment, and this predated your uh, profession of faith. That's correct. But you recognized that God was preserving your life. You had purpose. God had places for you to go. Absolutely. Um, You were unaware of it at the time. And I would imagine for listeners to this program who are not followers of Jesus yet, this may be a surprising thing, or it may confirm an, uh, an experience they have had. Absolutely. Why do you think God spoke to you to preserve your life before you had even come to acknowledge him or to know him or to recognize his voice? Yeah. Well, in a nutshell, uh, God <clears throat> wants all of his creation to come to himself. And what I found is that he goes uh, to great lengths to reach us. Yes. Um, and I always tell people that we haven't beat God anywhere. He is everywhere and he's working in people's hearts even before they know it. I call it persuasive grace. It's the romancing of our hearts. And, and so if we, if we really stop and examine our life, I think many people, particularly those who don't know Christ would see signs of God calling them to himself. They just might uh, mistake it as something else. Um, but for me, it was it was pretty clear. And for for everyone, it may not be as profound, but nevertheless, he is uh, actively pursuing his creation, humanity, uh, that they might come into a saving relationship with Jesus. We've been uh, talking about or at least referencing your book, Kingdom Moments, hearing and responding to the voice of God. I think the challenge of hearing God's voice and being able to distinguish his voice from our own or voices that might be misleading or uh, might mimic his, but isn't entirely clear. How do we hear the voice of God? Where do we begin? And I know your devotional kind of walks us through that process so that we become practiced at recognizing the shepherd's voice. How do we begin in that process? Well, I think it's important first to uh, demystify or mm. um, another way of saying it is de spookify it. <laughs> but we don't want the conversation about the voice of God to be uh, mystical or spooky. It's very normal. It's it's a part of the everyday normal Christian life for if you're a son or a daughter. And you can actually substitute voice of God for the way in which he communicates. He wants to communicate to us. The, the scripture says that his sheep know his voice. And that's the Greek word phone, which is the English word phonetic. In other words, he tailors his voice in a way in which we will understand. 
because he doesn't want what he has to say to us to be a mystery. He's not trying to play hide and mm-hmm. seek with us. He truly wants us to know. And so uh, there are the familiar ways that he speaks. We say through his word, as we're reading his word, um, he speaks through people. Uh, every day, uh, many believers go to, to churches or they watch churches or, or sermons online, and he uses people to speak. He, he speaks to us through prayer. Uh, he also speaks to us in our dreams and in visions. And, and, you know, that requires some explanation, but it is definitely biblical. He speaks to us uh, like Elijah uh, with that still, small voice. I call it Holy Spirit nudges. That's that internal movement, uh, sometimes visceral, that lets us know, hey, I need to talk to you. Uh, how do we discern? Because everybody has that question. How do we know it's not just me? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I say, you know, when he speaks to us, he speaks to us in our own voice. When when I hear him, I'm not hearing a female voice. You don't hear, hear James Earl Jones. No, absolutely. It's deep. not that low, deep, <laughs> yeah. low. No, it, it's it's my own voice. Uh, how do we know? Well, one, uh, we have the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of us. He's going to give us the ability to discern what is God speaking to us and what might just be our own thoughts. And a lot of it really comes down to relationship. It, it says he will know us and we will know him. It's, it's a relationship. Uh, we can't put our, our faith on autopilot. You know, our faith is, is not meant to be uh, a routine. It's a relationship whereby we hang out with the Lord, whatever that looks like for you. But we spend time just like we would spend time with someone we care about. Mm-hmm. There is a familiarity that that occurs where we hear and we understand that it's him speaking. And then uh, as we grow, we, we try. We put into practice that which we've heard. And you'll know that he speaks because it'll bear fruit. Coming up, he calls us to obedience. He thanks us for our sacrifices. But the scripture is clear. He prefers obedience above sacrifice. More with Pastor Wendell Robinson when the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. Stay with us. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy enters our 25th anniversary year, we've remained committed to a single truth of world history, that ideas have consequences. To understand these ideas and their impact on today's politics, and to test them quantitatively, requires the unique curriculum we offer on our Malibu, California campus. Apply now for fall classes at pepperdine.edu spp. That's pepperdine.edu spp. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook. I'm Georgine Rice. So many of us live life at such a frantic pace that it's hard to hear the still, small voice of the Lord. Wendell Robinson is trying to help. He's encouraging us to learn from Jesus, live for Jesus, and love through Jesus. Let's pick up on more of my conversation with Pastor Wendell Robinson, a guest on my program here on KPDQ. In the book, Kingdom Moments, Hearing and Responding to the Voice of God, the other half of that equation is responding. It's one thing to hear the voice of God and that's just, right. oh, that's interesting. I appreciate, you know, that's right. I appreciate the voice, but responding. We're talking yeah. about obedience and uh, being prepared to respond. 
how do we um, how do we prepare to walk in obedience and to respond when God speaks to us through his word, through that voice uh, that the Holy Spirit clarifies is the voice of God guiding us in one direction or another? Yeah. And that's kind of where the rubber meets the road. Uh, Once you sit down with a a Jesus follower uh, and talk through the nuances of hearing God's voice, hearing his communication, many will say, yes, okay, yes, I do hear. Uh, They'll start recalling situations. Mm -hmm. But where the rubber meets the road is once we determine that he has spoken, are we willing to do what he says? And that's where it gets tricky. It gets tricky because we have our way of, you know, living our life. And we have our thoughts about what we want to do. We have our dreams. We have our hopes. We have our uh, desires. But they may not be in line uh, in alignment with what he wants for us. And so often we are unwilling or afraid to respond because we'd rather just do what we want to do. And that's the tricky part. Uh, I know when he called us to leave everything that meant anything to us, in Portland to go to a land I will show you, which was Puerto Rico. (laughs) That was hard. Mm -hmm. That was hard. It wasn't what we had planned. It wasn't, it wasn't what the pastor who I was serving had planned for my life. But when he looked in my eyes, he realized it was a Jesus calling. And, um, but it did require us to move our agenda to the side. I remember for the first year, my wife cried for the whole year because it was that difficult. Um, and, and, you know, but the thing is he, 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 he calls us to obedience. He thanks us for our sacrifices, but the scripture is clear. He prefers obedience above sacrifice. Uh, and, and, and so obedience is his clarion call to, to the beloved. And it's hard. It's scary. Um, it's uncertain, but you can trust him. That's right. You can absolutely trust him. And sometimes we don't see that until uh, we look back in the rearview mirror of our lives. You know, they say hindsight is twenty twenty, um, But history shows, if we look back, his faithfulness. And if he's done it once, he'll do it again. He is faithful. I want to talk a little bit about the structure of the book. Yeah. I mentioned it's a devotional. It's intended to be a study from one week after another. That's correct. Um, and you design it in such a way that um, we're not just reading, but you have lessons and things we can write in to help reinforce the message that mm-hmm. um, that the word and, and God is, is teaching us. Can you kind of describe how it's laid out? Yeah. And this is really important. Uh, in, in all of my teaching, there's three basic principles that we try to live by personally and as a church, um, and that is revelation, demonstration, and activation. Revelation being what what did Jesus say? Demonstration, what does it look like? And then activation, what are you going to do about it? It's the idea of um, pairing hearing and doing. Mm-hmm. If, you, if we separate hearing and doing, then uh, let's just say we, we err on the side of hearing then we become professional hearers. And that immediately will put you in the lane uh, that the Pharisees were in. 
uh, ever learning, never coming to the knowledge of the truth. He says that we should not just be hearers of the word, but we should be doers. And so I wanted to write it in such a way that uh, gave beautiful revelation, um, also that demonstrated or showed what that looked like through the word and through personal testimony, but then also challenged the believer to kind of dig in for themselves Mm -hmm. into the word and then ask the question, what are you going to do about it? And I specifically took that idea of revelation, demonstration, and activation, and I um, I put three components in the book that says learn from Jesus, live for Jesus, and love through Jesus. Go and do. And so you'll see that consistently all the way through the book. Learn from Jesus. What is he saying? Live from Jesus. What what are you what is he doing? Um, and then love for Jesus. What what are we going to do about it? Uh, that's the, the, the basic structure that hopefully moves us just uh, from hearing into the arena of actually doing um, what the Lord has said. And the Holy Spirit is a part of that whole process. Absolutely. I so appreciate that emphasis. Uh, you describe yourself as a revivalist. Can you explain what you mean by that and the hope that's attached to being someone who sees revival in our future? Yeah, I, I hope every believer would uh, look at themselves as a personal revivalist. I, I believe there's still a, another great outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we can expect. Mm. Um, as in days of old, uh, in the Old Testament, when, when things weren't right, um, God's judgment was swift and it was harsh and he would wipe out whole civilizations. He doesn't do that anymore. He He, he gave us the rainbow as the Noahic covenant, the saying, hey, I won't do that again, I won't flood the earth. Uh, instead, I'll pour out my spirit, as Joel reminds us, upon all flesh. And so we don't have to despair that things are falling apart or God's uh, losing his grip on humanity. That is not the case. Uh, he is loving. He's patient. He's working in people's hearts. But there will be outpourings of his spirit. And I believe uh, that it will be in the hearts of many where we uh, embrace what God is doing and we simply respond in faith obedience right where we are in our marriages, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our churches, everywhere. There are so many opportunities to respond to God uh, outside of the four walls of the church. I do it all the time. Sometimes I'll hang out in my front yard tilling up the same weed until a neighbor comes out just for an opportunity (laughs) to say hello. Instead of just driving into the garage and letting it, you know, close behind me and go into my house. Coming up, we're ordinary people, as I say, that God wants to do extraordinary things with. A few more minutes with Pastor Wendell Robinson. Stay with us. My life flows on in endless song. Welcome back to the Christian Outlook. I'm Georgine Rice. No matter where you are in your relationship with Christ, I hope this conversation is a catalyst to go deeper, to trust Him more, to pursue Him more diligently, and to yield to Him as He reveals Himself to you. Christ is, I can attest, an ever-present and faithful friend. Let's catch a few more minutes of my conversation with Wendell Robinson, author of Kingdom Moments. I think as church-going believers, we oftentimes become spectators, and we might hear a good word. Oh, yeah. You know, it penetrates our heart. We're moved, but that's where it ends. 
But God is calling us, you know, the, the church equips the saints to do the work of the ministry. Absolutely. God is calling us to respond in practical ways to see our neighbors as those who uh, may not have access or may not know uh, the God who loves them and pursued them and has extended his grace to them Absolutely. to respond in such a way that's practical. And what you do in the book is give us kind of the, the toolkit to, to walk through, not just hearing, but responding in a way that's honoring to him and will minister to others as well. And that there's something so satisfying about mm. the adventure of following Jesus Absolutely. in these practical and tangible ways. Absolutely. And th- this is the beauty of it. it, it it's uh, it's for every single ordinary believer, me included, you included. We're, we're regular folks. Yep. We're ordinary people, as I say, that God wants to do extraordinary things with by way of the Holy Spirit. My wife and I were just eating um, at Sherry's for breakfast, one of our favorite little spots. And um, we had a wonderful breakfast. Um, and as we were finishing up, the, the, the lady who was waiting on us came to give me the check. And I felt that nudging. Uh, and as you spend time in the word and, and with the Lord, you, you get to know mm-hmm. what he's saying. And the, the impression was simply she needs to know that I see her. That's what I heard. And she needs uh, you to pray for her. And I'll admit, I don't go into this with great boldness. It's like, oh, gosh, not again, Lord. (laughs) Um, I said, ma'am, we're Jesus followers. Uh, Would you mind if we pray for you? And immediately she starts bawling. And she begins to talk about her son and his wife and their grandkids. Um, and, and, And so we just simply, I said, can can we do it like right now? And she said, yes. You know, there's people around. And so we prayed for her as she's weeping and she just thanked us. That was it. He didn't ask me to witness. He didn't ask me anything more but to pray for her because perhaps in her time alone, she's wondering if God even hears. And that's that's what hearing and responding to the voice is all about. And that's what Kingdom Moments helps facilitate. Mm-hmm. My prayer is that um, it, it'll be kind of a jump start. And people heard faith. people say things who have pr- do, did a pre-read. Uh, I feel like I'm born again, again. Uh, this uh, refreshing, this renewal, this personal revival. That's really uh, at the heart of, of Kingdom Moments. Thank you for joining us for the Christian Outlook. If you enjoyed the program, take a moment to sign up for our podcast at ChristianOutlook.com. Our program has been brought to you in part through our partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. For executive producer Russell Shubin and producers David Pushan, Mike Cook, and James Blend, I'm Georgine Rice. Join us again next time for the Christian Outlook. When she was just a now that the foster child I was working with has been reunified with his family, I realized that the hardest part wasn't that bittersweet day I had to say goodbye. It wasn't the time spent with social workers, attorneys, and others to make sure he had what he needed to succeed. It wasn't learning how to advocate for a child in foster care and how to navigate the system. The hardest part was realizing I had what it took to become a CASA volunteer. Make a difference in a child's life by visiting becomeacasa.org. Every child has a chance. It's you.